0: from the Toad Hop Network studios
1: in Hollywood. This, this is the toadhopnetwork.com.
0: It
2: is strongly addictive.
1: Radio worth watching. Radio
0: worth watching.
2: This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda: understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Aston.
3: Hello there. <laughs> uh-huh. Thanks very much, yes. Johnny Ice. Hello everyone, and welcome back to uh, Vox Populi, Voice of the Occasionally Interested People. Uh, I'm your host Sean Aston. Uh, sitting to my right is Mac Aston, my brother and co-host of the show. Aloha. Uh, Francisco is here helping us out with research. There he is, and uh, Johnny Ice is on the boards as usual. Uh, we'll be taking calls in a little bit. If you can pull the music down, that'd be great, Johnny. Um, <clears throat> A lot going on today. I just want to welcome all the new uh, listeners slash viewers who are out there because uh, I've been promoting it pretty – I've got a whole lot of – I have about 15,000 new followers on, uh, on at Sean Aston, and so I've really been hitting it hard about this political show. A lot of people um, are skeptical when actors uh, branch out and do other things in their life, but uh, I've had a pretty um, – uh, open and generous response from people who've uh, who 've tuned in and listened to the show and understand that it 's my mission to um, create a constructive forum for conversation that 's uh, um, based on issues that are that are important to us politics is not a dirty word that kind of good stuff um, so welcome to all of you um, we today th- there 's a lot going on today i don 't know if most people because this is a political show or a government show I kind of want to start out by just men- mentioning. Um, that uh Mac, do you have a little bi- a bio for the senator in in the capitol? Do you want to read a little something about that uh Senator Carolyn McCarthy? No, 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 anyway, oh, today uh, yeah, in our sure. nation's capital, there is a um, there is an event there's an occurrence happening that is pretty rare, and that is one of our nation's leaders is quote unquote lying in state, <laughs> their coffin with their body in it is lying in the capitol rotunda so that the public can pay their respects in person to go, I mean I always think of like you know stalin or something like that you know when you but uh, but presidents and uh, and other dignitaries are afforded that honor in our nation's capital and today um senator Inouye from Hawaii the great state of Hawaii who had uh he was uh lost an arm in the uh second world war he yes. was he was uh, a japanese uh, American fighting at a time when a lot of Japanese were interned, and he, uh, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. And yes. d- Do you want to say a couple more things about...
2: Uh, Daniel Ken Dan Inouye was a Medal of Honor recipient and a United States Senator from Hawaii, a member of the Democratic Party, and the President pro tempore of the United States Senate from 2010 until his death in 2012, making him the highest-ranking Asian-American po- politician in United States history. Inouye was the Chairman of the U.S. Senate Committee on Appropriations, a Senator since 1963, Inouye was the most senior senator at the time of his death. He was also the second longest serving U.S. senator in history. Yeah, continuously represented Hawaii in the U.S. Congress since it achieved statehood in 1959 until the time of his death just a couple of days ago, serving as Hawaii's first U.S. uh, representative and later a senator. He was the first Japanese-American to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives and later the first in the United States Senate. Before then, he served in the Hawaii Territorial House from 54 to 58 and the Territorial Senate from 58 to 59. He never lost an election in 58 years as an elected official.
3: He was pretty great. I saw some footage of him uh, during the Watergate uh, trial. He was instrumental in in helping uh, move the legal
2: uh, He was an incredible uh, dude
3: yeah so I, I just wanted to start I just wanted to start out by saying that um, we have leaders in this country who are worthy and and uh, it's it 's always great to see them honored accordingly and and so now the listeners of Vox Populi know that uh, Daniel Inouye is uh, is has passed and is being honored in in World War two.
2: He was a, a part of the uh, 442nd Regiment, which, uh, which was a regiment of uh, Japanese-Americans uh, who were serving uh, in the uh, Italian theater, if you will, the European theater. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, they were the, the the most decorated regiment in history uh, in that I think there was a ridiculous amount of Congressional Medal of Honor recipients, a ridiculous amount of Purple Heart recipients. And uh, Inouye, in, in, in particular, uh, received his Purple Heart uh, for – a very dramatic experience. Uh, I don't know if you want to get into it or not.
3: Let's we we have a certain amount of time. I want to I want to dig in, but I just wanted to make I just wanted to take a moment to to honor and recognize Senator Inouye and, and, uh, and his constituents and all Americans who benefited as the result of his work. So we, we can find another time, I think, to go into really lauding and celebrating his accomplishments. That is uh, – the one you're talking about is, is staggering, of it's course. It's ridiculous. So the, the other big thing that's happening right now is that the, uh, the Congress – that I kind of feel like I have to mention before we get into our topic of the day – is that the, uh, the Congress of the United States – is under the uh, the leadership of of uh, House leader uh, Boehner is is going to vote on the so called fiscal cliff um, issue and they've they're going to vote for what they're calling the plan B which um, wait a minute <laughs> well that's something different uh, entirely but uh, they and it's a it's a it's a, it's a um, uh, a political posturing maneuver to give them uh, – to give Republicans in the House uh, kind of plausible deniability when they ultimately come to some sort of uh, ultimate compromise that the Senate is willing to pass and that the president is willing to pass and – and um, or uh, worst-case scenario, they uh, – we, we sort of go over this fiscal so-called cliff. Um, I just kind of thought it was interesting to mention because I've, I've sort of uh, been – projecting that uh, there will be a compromise before the end of the year, that the country will not go over this. So, you know, even if there's, uh, temporary measures put in place that it was politically uh, you know uh, untenable uh, for for the President and for the congress to uh, to actually allow taxes to uh, be increased on all Americans and to let you know the kind of draconian spending cuts that are supposed to take place in the military and in entitlements and so forth so anyhow, I think that um, it looks more and more likely to me that they will arrive at a uh, solution they just have to go through these little these little hoops, but I'm, I'm on the record. What, you,
2: mean, you mean to say the government's going to
3: govern? Well, what? they're going to appear to govern. I think they're going to uh, – uh, well, my case has been that there's a, a, a brinksmanship politics that has become the standard that before any decision can get made – and this goes to the topic we're going to really get into today – that something crazy has to happen, something so out of the norm, something so damaging – and kind of irrefutably awful has to happen before the government can uh act you know i mean uh, in the wake of the 911 uh tragedy a whole slew of legislation just swept right through that would never have been able to get through before that and in mm-hmm. in um you know the, and you can you know this sort of disaster legislation but here here we have the brinksmanship moment where uh, i mean it was a year ago that the federal or the debt limit was was being um uh debated whether they the president could uh you know raise it and so forth so uh, you know or whether whether Congress would raise it or not, and the Republicans were really trying to use that um, moment to you know further uh, the the cuts that they thought you know, should be in place. And and so there was, anyhow, it was, it went, uh, it went badly. We lost We were downgraded. Our, our, our AAA credit rating was downgraded and, and, uh, it did hurt the economy. Just the fact of the way that the Congress was doing business was seen as unstable and, and unhealthy. And so all in with a busted flush, something like that. Uh, and, and, you know, so, but it's all about the midterms and it's all about going back to their districts at the end of the, uh, uh, you know, at the at the at the end of their term, and and saying, you know, well, you know, I did everything I could. Look, we passed this bill today, December twenty twenty twelve, saying that uh, you know we would allow taxes to be increased on uh, individuals who were making four hundred thousand and above. Uh, that was that you know we. we we got the president up from that, and, and that's what we're willing to settle on. And and uh, and then when they ultimately compromise for more than that, they'll be able to say, you know, well, we weren't going to be the uh, the totally irresponsible party. And, and both sides will say that. They both use themselves, and, and we just have to get – the country is going to have to find a way out of the um, brinksmanship politics. And I'm just sort of mentioning that today is important because um, I think it's an indication from President Obama that he was willing to be – they both compromised a little bit, but neither enough. And, and I, I project that they will come to some sort of a solution. So, anyhow, I just wanted to bring that up. Um, talking about watershed moments or things that happen that create a, a kind of immediate groundswell of um, action, you know, legislative action, government action, uh, there's lots of things that can do it. Um, in on friday last the country um was had to uh absorb the fact that yet another um mentally ill individual um who had access to legally obtained firearms went into uh in this instance a school a primary school and uh and killed uh, an extraordinary number of people in a very short amount of time. He killed 20 children and six adults, or five. I, I don't know the exact number. His mother he killed as well beforehand. Uh, so um, one thing that has to be set up front is any conversation about gun control or you know a, a revising and adjusting how we how we look at guns in this country um, has to happen alongside a discussion of mental health uh, care and how people are um uh, and the kinds of care that 's available to people the readiness of it uh, the 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 uh you know how the um, the availability of it and and whether or not people are are getting the attention they want because in in the absence of destigmatizing certain uh uh aspects of mental illness and really focusing on a mental illness that needs to uh that that needs to be more culturally understood, not just between doctors and patients, but the average citizen needs to just get a little bit more about what's going on, and then people have to be able to um, sound an alarm bell without infringing on people's rights. It's an issue that's going to take a long time to understand, uh, and it's and it it has to be happening. So that process is happening. It needs to be accelerated and so forth. So, so I, this next conversation we're going to have about guns in America, um, I'm sort of – I want to be on the record saying I know and most people I know know and most of the conversation that's out there that I've been following, the reasonable conversation says that um, mental health uh, is a major component to reducing the occurrences of these kinds of uh, catastrophic uh, rampages. So that said – the one thing that can be done immediately, like by the end of the day, or certainly when Congress comes into uh session and uh Senators who have already uh presented and passed legislation relating to assault weapons uh that stuff there is now very clearly um a an overwhelming push among uh, even lawmakers who have not uh, who are who are uh, n r a um members and who are uh represent uh constituencies of, that are very uh strong on on uh on you know guns and and not having uh their 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 freedoms and rights uh impinged upon they now are even saying that uh looking at these military grade weapons and the the kinds of ammunition and the way that people are armed is um where the citizenry is not being uh, protected appropriately. So and they're and they're talking about uh needing to do something. So for me, you know, when that thing happened, I spent all day Friday with my wife sobbing, crying. We have three children, two of whom are the ages of the of the the children who were killed in uh in Newtown, Connecticut. Um we wa you know, we we agonized you know, as extended community members because we're all part of this country and uh you know, we we had to find ways to not talk about, but sort of, you know, to broach it with our children and, and and not kind of overwhelm them, but also not leave them totally in the dark in case they get blindsided in school. And so, and then we, you know, of course I have this political radio show and I watch and I listen and um, uh, to everything that I can and and read what I can. And, and uh, my initial feeling was so strong. There was such outrage I had. I was so angry. I mean, I just was so angry because... It's the kind of thing that's predictable, and if not preventable, we can certainly do things to uh, m- mitigate some of the, uh, you know, the quantity of the occurrences and the and the the degree of the uh, damage it's done when when they happen. Sometimes You're not ever going to be able to stop it all the time, but uh, as the trends continue, there's lots of things that can be done. So, but what I what I as I started kind of so, sobering up a little bit from the from the drama of just my heart hurting so bad, I, uh, I started thinking, you know what? I really don't understand the Second Amendment. I don't get it. I've read it, <laughs> you know? Um, I, 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 I've got my degree, I graduated with honors. Uh, with degrees in, in history and American literature and culture from uh, UCLA. And uh, and every time I talk to my family who are NRA members, um, my friends who have these kinds of weapons in their home, and, and the conversation turns uh, towards trying to understand it, and the Second Amendment is invoked, I, I, it's like somebody puts a gong over my head, and I, boom, I'm just kind of left... Wondering what that really means, and it 's almost like whoever 's brash enough to misrepresent their minuscule knowledge of history will win the argument in the whoever 's household we 're talking about it in, so I put the call out there uh, to talk to an expert uh, on constitutional law and on the second amendment because I really wanted to to understand the history of it. I wanted to get a picture of what what is a rel, uh, a well regulated militia what what uh, How did they come into being? how were they how, how did that law make it into our constitution, and why isn't it more clear? So I put the call out there, and uh, Linda Lieroff, um was kind enough one of the one of my uh, one of my tried and true supporters uh, was was good enough to track down um, an expert in the field and, and put us in touch. And so I'm I'm going to be pleased in a moment to welcome uh Paul Finkelman Dr. Paul Finkelman or Professor Paul Finkelman I want to refer to him by all of his important uh honorifics honorifics because I want to feel like w- when I'm in the conversation I'm that much smarter or whatever we arrive at and the w- whatever data is transmitted whatever conclusions whatever inspiration is is garnered from it that it has the the benefit of letters um well yeah it,
2: it helps it helps to identify that the person uh, to whom you 're speaking knows uh, what they 're talking about that they 've put in the time that they 've put in the effort to to fully
3: understand uh, the depth of, of of whatever the issue is so with, uh, without uh, further ado, I will. Uh, you know, but anybody can educate themselves on the internet. They can do things. People, people can become. People are uh, very smart. You don't have to be. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a graduate student in order to start to wrestle these ideas. In my personal opinion, um, but it's. I'm just so proud to be able to uh, present a voice of somebody who, as you said, does have that that level. And l- let me explain it. Um, he's current. He's just about to finish up a stint. Uh, Dr. Dr. Paul Finkelman is just about to finish up a stint as the John Hope Franklin Visiting Professor of American Legal History at Duke Law School. Um, he is uh, – his, his day job, as it were, he's the president, uh, William McKinley, Distinguished Professor of Law and Public Policy at Albany Law School. Uh, I could read a lot of other – uh, he's got a master's in, uh, from the uh, University of Chicago in 1972. Uh, he did his undergraduate work at Syracuse in the year of my birth. Uh, doctor, sorry about that, 1971. <laughs> and uh, uh, his Ph.D. is from the University of Chicago in 1976. He's a fellow in law and humanities uh, at the Harvard Law School in 1982-83. This isn't some guy we just got off the street. This is not a nabob. This is not a ne'er-do-well. Uh, he's, um, he, he's, he is uh, a historian. He's a historian. Um, let me let me. He's written, I think, uh, more than 150 scholarly articles, more than 30 books. He's an expert on the law of slavery, constitutional law, religious liberty african-american history the american civil war and mac you're gonna dig this one go on he's an expert on legal issues surrounding baseball oh. he was an expert witness called to testify in the case of uh the guy who got the ball stripped from him barry bonds home run i think it was barry bonds home run. let me uh, so <laughs> oh no kidding
2: i <laughs> i've seen this i've uh, seen him before i've uh, seen him in the documentary about that guy no kidding that's so, a so welcome
3: via, via voice and for those of you who are actually watching live uh Dr. Professor uh, Paul Finkelman, Paul, hello and welcome to Vox Populi. Thanks very much.
4: Uh, That was just a wonderfully amusing interview. Uh, Introduction uh, I'd like to meet this guy. Can you hear me okay?
3: (laughs) Yeah, we can hear you. Mac is, uh, everybody loves Mac. Mac is, Uh people tune into the show, they're tired of hearing me, they just want to hear more of Mac. He's, uh, everybody loves my, my little brother who's taller than me. But, uh, and he's a big baseball fan, so at some point you two are going to have to get into it about this whole – because you actually – were you the first person to really write on this baseball
4: thing? I once wrote a law review article on why a fan owns the home run ball if he catches it, which turns out to have a lot of interesting legal questions about property law mm. and how property transfers from one person to another. Yeah. Uh, and oh. so I happened to write this article – uh, and then uh, suddenly, scholarship became reality. When a guy named Alex Popov caught Barry Bonds' seventy-third home run ball, Popov is effectively mugged in the stands, and he sues to get the ball back. And I'm his expert witness. But uh, I think we're here to talk about more important issues. We are. We are.
2: I,
3: we we are indeed. I,
2: wow. I just um, yeah, possession is still nine
3: tenths. Oh, mean, brother. That's what that's what we're talking about. All right. Let's let's go. Um, so so Paul, you. You, um, why don't you just? You were exposed to the, the whole country was exposed to this recent, um, you know, mass killing of twenty, uh, you know, six year old kids, roughly, and and uh, and six adults in the in the primary school. Did, did you have a first? Um, what was your first blush feeling when you, aside from just the horror of it, was there something
4: that occurred to you when you first uh, saw the news? Um. My first thought, of course, was the horror of it. I was in a business meeting in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and suddenly one of the people got a uh, a message on his cell phone to check the news, and we all just sat there stunned. I was with a uh, physician who, of course, had spent his whole life trying to save lives, and he was just angry and shocked and the people around the table, I think, run the spec ran the spectrum from kind of liberal Democrats to moderate to moderate Republicans to conservative Republicans. There was nothing political about this discussion. everybody was just in shock, everybody was angry angry and uh it's time that we take the issue of guns out of the context of are you right or are you left, are you red or are you blue? Uh, This is not about these kinds of issues. This is about how we read an 18th century constitution and how we logically and rationally apply it to the 21st century. And it is about, in part... I think the willful misreading of the Constitution by a majority of the Supreme Court to make nice to uh, their political constituency, and I I think that has led to great tragedy. Uh, The other thing that struck me about this is, here we go again. This is not the first time. The only difference between the kids in Connecticut and the kids in Columbine was 10 years. Any of us who are parents understand that. Your kids are the same age as the kids in Connecticut. My kids are the same age as the kids who died in Columbine. Uh, and in a couple of years, my kids will be the same age as the kids who died in a movie theater a few months ago. Or we live in a society or, okay, where
3: can, yeah. anyone
4: can get a weapon that is not a hunting rifle. That is not a weapon for personal self-defense. It's not a pistol that you might carry because you're afraid somebody's going to mug you. This is a weapon designed to go to war. Uh, I come from upstate New York where all of my friends hunted. I love venison. I, I was just out in Minnesota with some friends, and we had this spectacular dinner that included venison and goose sausage uh, shot, uh, hunted by, by the brother of the person who was throwing the dinner. It was a spectacular dinner. Uh, this is not about the right to hunt. This is not a, about the right to have perhaps a pistol for personal defense. This is about whether we want to flood the United States with weapons and the accoutrements, like Kevlar, like body armor, that go with these weapons that have nothing to do with anything except people going to war with each other. All right. And so if let we me to tolerate that. We'll continue to get more of
3: these. All right. Let me. Let me. Um... First, just kind of, I want to say for my audience. You know, I I know uh, lots of members of the NRA. I know lots of people who, who own and use guns. Um, all of them are loving, conscientious, thoughtful, uh, caring, responsible people who um, are just as horrified by what what people saw. Uh, on uh, well, what we all experienced, what was what befell that that poor community in Connecticut, uh, as as the the next uh, the next citizen, um, what seems to happen is that a little bit of time passes. Uh, The NRA has gone incredibly silent, pulling down their website, uh, not responding to people's questions, and now I understand they're going to make a big, some sort of a big uh, press conference tomorrow. That may or may not. I sort of anticipate that they're going to they're going to have some serious movement on gun legislation that will that will uh, sort of at least move in the direction or give them deniability for moving in the direction of of uh, what is now clearly overwhelming public sentiment against
4: uh, Sean. You should understand that the NRA. Opposed legislation banning armor piercing bullets okay? we 'll we'll, we'll see but now public, is, now public
3: opinion is now public opinion is riled to a, an extreme degree so we 'll see so, how so the- you
4: you make it, and there is a gigantic split i think between the average members of the NRA, like my cousin who's a hunter, and the leadership of the nRA, which is both fanatical in in their belief in you should own any kind of weapon i'm i'm waiting for the nra to argue for personal tanks and uh the membership well i, mean, I tell I tell you what as we as we get into a,
3: a conversation uh, um uh about the about the second amendment it is an interesting thing you know weapons great plutonium a tank a bazooka uh, a, sho- a shoulder rock you know mortar uh like at what point now at that F- we can the, the... f16 uh, well, the the an M six. Do you say F or M sixteen?
4: Uh, yeah, F sixteen. Yeah.
3: Right. Right. But but there you've got the M sixteen. I mean, we can actually look on the news or get on the internet now. We can look at uh, Syria. You can look at uh, places all throughout Africa and 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 the rest of the world in in Eastern Europe and and I I think people around the world would argue. You know, on the streets of the United States of America, and we can kind of. We we have anecdote anecdotal evidence and, and tons of raw data to look at about how different kinds of weapons are used tactically what you know and so forth but what you and I now have already declared our predilection for uh you know a more stringent uh, uh, uh gun control legislation to be passed what I want to do is and what I kind of tried to to promote to my my Twitter followers was that they were going to get um a calm uh you know kind of focused reading uh using your expertise uh and and I'd love to I'd love to sort of take our take our uh the the horror and the outrage or whatever else we have on uh on our bodies right now and just set it to the side for a minute and just start talking about the second amendment and when it came into being and how it came into being I read I I I tweeted out um an extended uh, long Twitter thing that actually had a uh, an academic paper that you wrote about the second amendment that if people want to you know search through my feed it 's not too many uh tweets ago and and they can kind of follow along a little bit but um you know there there 's a lot of things that jumped out at me to me, but do you want to just sort of characterize for the for the listeners sure. what what how did how did it start what it means, what was it meant to do, you know, and just just give us a basic framework in the day. Take us into 1750, okay. what is it, 17? It's the 1780s and 17,
4: 1791. 1791. Right,
3: okay, so go. So let's,
4: so you're going to have to pretend that you're back in a college classroom for a couple of minutes. Uh, I'll try we can to take it, we, pain, can all, we can all take as it. As painless as possible.
3: We, we, none of us have homework, so we can all take it.
4: Okay, okay, that's good, and there'll be no test at the end. In 1787, there is a convention in Philadelphia that writes the Constitution, the Constitutional Convention. It creates a stronger national government than it had existed under what were called the Articles of Confederation. One of the clauses of that Constitution said that Congress would have the requirement, the authority, the power to create militias and to provide the militias with arms and to provide them with rules for governing the militias. Uh, um, It also provided for the calling forth the militias to suspend, to suppress rebellions and insurrections. Um, Let me read the clause from the Constitution. Congress shall have the power to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia. So Congress will provide the guns for the militia. Congress will provide the book on how you discipline the militia. Congress will provide the rules for how you organize the militia. And for governing the militia, I'm skipping a couple of words here because I don't want to be too lengthy, when it's called for service in the United States. So if you call up what is today the militia, which would be the National Guard, if you call up the California National Guard for a national emergency, then Congress has set the rules for how you govern the California National Guard. And then it says reserving to the states, The appointment of officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. So the state governors could could appoint the, the generals to run the militia and the other officers, and they would be the state militia, except when called up. But their guns and their rules and their regulations would all come from the national government. The idea would be that you would have a citizen's army when you needed it, but that you wouldn't have a giant, large standing army, a professional army all the time. Tell me, what did a citizen army look
3: like? Did, did
4: people keep the guns in their homes? No, people kept the guns in their armory. I, where I grew up, there was a, a town armory. And, and people, the militia kept the militia weapons in the town armory for the most part. And this, by the way, was different than in the colonies, which fought the revolution, where uh, farmers grabbed their guns and went, and went to militia training. And the difference is that that the new national government wants, on one hand, to respect the history of the citizens' army – and on the other hand, to say we need a more professional army, we need the same kind of guns. You can't have an army where 15 soldiers come up with 15 different weapons. Um, we want some uniformity. We want similar caliber of our weapons so that we can produce bullets for everybody and not have to have you know, 15 different boxes of bullets because you've got 15 different kinds of guns. There are lots of reasons for doing this. But here's the point. When the Constitution was being ratified, some people were afraid of the Constitution for a variety of reasons. Uh, Some feared a new strong national government. Some uh, people like Patrick Henry in Virginia, who's the governor, um, and George Clinton, who's the governor of New York, don't want a stronger national government because that will diminish their political power. If you have the big president of the United States, then being governor of Virginia isn't quite so important. So these people are known as anti-federalists. Anti, the
3: anti-federalists, it's, I mean anybody who, who is trying to make sure in this particular context that the, the United States of America, the centralized government in D.C. has the power to raise and control the, the, the state militias basically or at least uh, to, to arm them to their level of satisfaction and to manage and, and, and organize them to their satisfaction – Anybody who opposes that, who wants strictly, they're called anti-federalists. Right. Okay. Now, they oppose
4: other things as well. They oppose a national congress. They oppose a president. They oppose the Senate. Uh, There are lots of things that they oppose. Basically, they don't want a strong national government. What they would like is 13 states that are kind of like a federation that get together once in a while, but basically don't have a strong national government. To give you an idea – uh... before the constitution is ratified every state has its own trading policy with foreign nations so when the united states in seventeen eighty five is trying to to uh, negotiate a trade agreement with the British. The British say, we can't negotiate with you. We have to have 13 separate agreements with 13 separate states. So that's what the Constitution is trying to get rid of, this diffusion and create a stronger national state. Now, the supporters of the new national government are people like George Washington, who had suffered terribly during the war because of the weakness of the national government. And by the way, he also suffered because the state militias were often incompetent. He wanted people who would be trained under the same system of training. So uh, Alexander Hamilton, George Washington, James Madison, uh, the people who are on our coins and our money and our stamps, um, these are the people we remember. They were the people who support the, the new national government. Benjamin Franklin um, is one of them. And in, so or- in to- order
3: to do that, they had to have that constitution, just basic uh, government, U.S. government 101. They had to have that A constitution ratified, meaning all the individual states with uh, 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 or two two thirds majority of the individual states. Is that right? Had to uh, is that right? Had to agree to ratify.
4: What they said was you needed nine of the thirteen states to ratify uh, to to ratify the constitution. So it's actually um, it's actually two thirds,
3: right? So if if you were on the minority end of a discussion in Pennsylvania as the ratification was being voted on in the state legislature right was there anything you could do to try and keep some of your fears or concerns addressed or or as you know they're going to they're going to vote for it is it basically like if you lose a vote you're toast or or because in your in your essay, it seemed like they would attach some sort of an, a, a writer or something to it that would go to the federal uh, government and, you know, saying... Well, l-
4: l- let me try to sort that out. There are two kinds of of people who are opposing the Constitution. Some of them simply don't want a strong national government. Patrick Henry is a good example. Uh, these are people that James Madison actually called dishonest federalists. And then there were other people who were... Con- who were not afraid of a national government, but they wanted what they called a Bill of Rights. They wanted some protections. They wanted protections, guarantees. For example, when Madison is campaigning for the ratification of the Constitution in his home county of Orange, Virginia, he runs into a lot of Baptists. Now, you have to understand, in Virginia in 1787, the Episcopal Church, which is the American version of the old Church of England, is the official church in the state. And so in order to be a minister, you had to be an Episcopal minister. Baptist ministers weren't allowed to perform marriages. They... They were sometimes whipped. They were sometimes fined. They were sometimes jailed. Baptists had to pay taxes to support the Anglican Church, or, or now the Episcopal Church. And so the Baptists came to Madison, and they say, we don't mind a strong national government, but we want some guarantees of religious freedom because we're being oppressed by our own government here in Virginia. We don't always want, also want to be oppressed by the national government. So that would be the demand for a Bill of Rights. So after the ratifications in some states— one of two things happened. Either as a compromise, the Federalists who got the ratification through turned to the anti-Federalists and say, look, if you guys got some amendments you want, we're willing to pass them on to the national government. You know, tell us what your amendments are. That happens in Virginia, for example. And Patrick Henry writes about 40 amendments that he wants. In Pennsylvania, which is the second state to ratify the Constitution, and it ratifies it overwhelmingly, um, the Anti-Federal simply walk out, and they go to the local tavern, and they write up a list of amendments that they want. And it's a long laundry list of what they call the demands of the minority of the Pennsylvania Convention, because they're clearly in the minority. And they ask for many things. Now, when... Madison is in Congress after the Constitution is ratified. He takes all these demands, the official ones from places like South Carolina and Virginia, and the unofficial ones from the minority in Pennsylvania, and he reads through all of them and he comes with a list of amendments which ultimately become the Bill of Rights. In doing so, he said over and over again that he's not going to do anything that's going to undermine the power of the new national government that's going to undermine the vigor of the new national government, all he's doing is basically promising not to do things that he thinks the national government can't do anyways. So when the Pennsylvania anti-federalists say, we want an amendment to guarantee our rights to go hunting and fishing, we want an amendment to guarantee our rights to carry weapons for personal defense, which they say, Madison completely ignores these demands. He says, you're not going to get those. When they say, we want an amendment to not allow for a standing army, so you can't have a professional army, Madison ignores those amendments. When people say, we want an amendment to destroy the Senate, remove the Senate, get rid of it, nope, you're not going to get those. But when people say, we want an amendment to guarantee freedom of religion, or freedom of the press, or freedom of speech, or the promise that the new national government won't disarm the state militias, because we're worried that this new national government will have a standing army, the president will become Caesar, he'll shut down the state militia, and he'll declare himself dictator. You know, Madison thinks this is absurd. He thinks it's a, it, it's a hallucination. But he says, look, I've, I'll give you an amendment to promise that the new national government won't destroy your state militias. Why? Because Madison assumes they'll always be state militias. He understands you need them to have a strong... Defense. You have to return to the people when you need a defense. So Madison's happy to say, and this is what he says, a well-regulated militia. By the way, this doesn't mean just a group of guys who get together and practice shooting. A well-regulated militia. That means regulated under the act of Congress on how you govern the militia. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. Okay? So that New York has to have its own militia. But the, does
3: that mean the security of a free state from the government? Like, are those militias designed to be a buffer against the U.S. Army? Or are they – why do they need – because what you said is that the Constitution allows for the federalizing of those militias whenever they when – basically were at their discretion.
4: Right. I, I think it's a complicated thing. On one hand, Madison is saying. That if you are going to have a free state, you obviously have to have a military. The world isn't made up of pacifists. Madison is a realist. They, after all, just fought a seven-year war with Great Britain, a very bloody, painful war. Uh, Madison understands we need an army. At the same time, Madison, just like the anti-federalists, doesn't want to create a giant professional military. They don't want a huge standing army of professional soldiers, because they look at history and they say when you get a huge professional army, you get Caesar in Rome, you get dictatorships, you get kings who go off and fight useless wars. So let's have a small professional. But
3: what are they? What are they trying to be free from? Um, from other states, from uh, other foreign entities, from insurrection no. from within their own ranks, from from the federal government. I mean, to me, I, I always hear, you know, uh, in the Confederate in the Confederacy that I that from what little I understand is that uh, they have the right to defend themselves from an oppressive federal government. But that's not possible if uh, in the very bylaws that establish the. Uh, Militias—they're saying we can, we—they're essentially you can run them as long as you want, but as soon as we need them, we're going to call on them. So that
4: like- it's 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 it's, it's it, imagine a a couple of little boxes here, okay, and we can put the militia in different boxes at different times. So the first box for the militia is the militia is the citizens' army. A free state means the United States. And a well-regulated militia is necessary for the security of a free station, a free state. We could say a free nation. If we're going to be free (laughs) I don't
3: think gun advocates would say it's a free nation. They'd say it's an individual state. My right to have have, – Listen,
4: I'm telling you what James Madison is doing. Okay. Not what some person today might fear or fantasize or think about. Madison is saying we have this new young nation – We have the British up in Canada. We have the Spanish in Florida and in Louisiana, west of the Mississippi. It only reverts to France later on. We have the French in Haiti. These are big, strong, powerful nations. They might invade us someday. We have to be able to call up an army when we need it. And the security of a free state relies on the citizen's army. And that has been, by the way, the history of the United States up until the end of the Vietnam War, that we always relied on the citizens' army. We relied on the draft. We didn't have, as we do today, what is a professional army. So that's one piece of the militia. The other piece of the militia is when there's a national crisis, the national government will call out these state militias. State militias will then be federalized, and they will go into action on behalf of the nation. The other thing Madison's sort of throwing out there is, look, if you really think that this tiny little national army that we're creating in the the new nation is going to threaten you, you'll have your state militia to protect you. Just in case some lunatic becomes president, just in case some crazy man becomes president and decides to uh, make war on the states, and just in case the Senate and the House of Representatives all go along with this, you all still have your state militias. We won't abolish them. Don't worry. We're not going to create a tyranny. And, and those, sound, those sound mutually
3: use. exclusive to me. Uh, uh, those sound mutually exclusive to me. Either we ha- you have a militia that you can do what you want until we need it, or mm-hmm. that you can use to defend yourself against us if we become overbearing. Those,
4: uh, well, the, the answer would be this. In the normal course of constitutional government, You would never have to worry about the national government attacking you, right? Because the normal course of constitutional government is we are all one country. But the anti-federalists are kind of paranoid. And they're screaming, you're going to create a Senate, which is going to be like the House of Lords. Your president is going to be the emperor. You're going to have a standing army. You're going to abolish our state militias, and then we'll have no way to defend when you destroy the Constitution and declare yourself king. That's their fantasy. That's their fear. And Madison says, look, that ain't never going to happen. But because you're so worried about it, you'll still have your state militia. And if the president unconstitutionally declares himself king, then when when your your militias will be there to protect you, does that make any sense at all? Dan? It does. It still it, seems sure.
3: like a go ahead. Mike.
2: Well, no, there's a there's a question uh, via the the, the Twitter uh, from one of the uh, regular listeners um, uh, that says, how 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 would you explain all that Jefferson Cox and Adams wrote about the right to self-defense with arms? That,
4: uh... Well, um, Jefferson, Cox, and Adams, I'm not sure who Cox, it, I, I, th- oh, I, I think it must mean Tench Cox. A um Yeah, that's it. You know, one of the problems with the all that they wrote is much of what they wrote is taken out of context. Uh, for example, there's a famous letter where Thomas Jefferson writes a friend and says, I'm about to go to debate somebody. Could you please send me information on the following issues? And then he says, I never like to go out in the countryside to fight without my arms. Mm -hmm. Now, what he's referring to is Mm -hmm. not his guns. He's referring to the information that will enable him to win the debate. But the NRA has pulled that out of context and say, here is Jefferson saying that you have, um, you know, that, that I never go about the country without being well armed, but that's not what he's talking about. Now, keep in mind.
3: Let, let me ask you a question: If you were to, if you were to do like a public opinion poll in the, you know, late 1700s about whether or not uh, people wanted to have the right to own firearms protected in the Constitution, it would you'd probably have a, a, a near unanimous vote in favor of guaranteeing that.
4: The well, effort. I'm not sure because, after all, the uh, the House of Representatives, which represented the people, had been elected by the people, vote, didn't go back to Madison and say rewrite the Second Amendment. They didn't. After all, the members of the House knew that some people were asking for this. And by the way, the members of the House of Representatives might very well have said, and the people might very well have said that. There may come a time when we need to disarm people if they are rebelling against the country. Uh, You might recall, for example, in the early 1790s, Congress passes a tax on whiskey, and the farmers in Pennsylvania attack the tax collector and uh, march on on the Harrisburg and start marching towards Philadelphia. Uh, And the Congress sends out the army and disarms these people. Uh, the the idea that, that you have a right to always be armed might not be something that people would have accepted. You certainly couldn't have walked because then, around. Because
3: then they, they, the, the soldiers wouldn't have had a legal uh, right to disarm those people.
4: That's right. And, and and you certainly couldn't have walked around New York City or Boston or Philadelphia or Richmond carrying your musket. Uh, th- think of the old cowboy which there's some truth to them even though they're all they're, they're, they're TV shows and movies but there's lots of cowboy movies where the gunslinger rides into town and the first thing the sheriff says is you got to check your guns with me because we don't let people walk around town packing a pistol and that's also part of America now again you have to understand the difference between a farmer who's going to have a, a musket to shoot game, to protect himself from people who are living in cities. And you have to understand that there's a difference between owning a musket and owning a in, can- in the eyes of
3: In the eyes of the Constitution, there's a difference? Because it sounds to me like they didn't include it, but they didn't exclude it
4: either. Well, I think the answer to that is because you don't have a constitutional protection for something doesn't mean that there aren't political and historical claims to certain rights. Let me give you an example. Nothing in the Constitution protects your right to bury the dead, right? There's no constitutional provision that allows you to hold funerals. But certainly, Americans would say that we have a right to a reasonable burial of the dead. Now, that doesn't mean that you can say, gee, my father really loved to drive on the Santa Monica Freeway, and therefore I want to dig a hole in the Santa Monica Freeway and bury my dad in the middle of the Santa Monica Freeway. We would say, sorry, go to a cemetery and bury your dad. That's cool. You can't do it in the Santa Monica Freeway. Um, and if suddenly California were to pass a law which says you may no longer have funerals for dead people, we're simply going to cart them up and cremate them and, and throw the ashes away, I'm sure that courts would have no problem saying that that is a, a fundamental liberty that people have. And it's a fundamental liberty of people to do certain things within certain kinds of regulations uh so i would say to to my hunter friends i'm right with you you have a right to go hunting you have a right to own your long guns you have a right to go hunting uh but at the same time the state has a right to tell you you can only hunt deer during deer season and you can't hunt moose because they're endangered unless you go to certain places where they're not endangered and you can't hunt certain birds because they're endangered, and you can only hunt certain other birds in seasons. So, so you know you're talking about re- you're
3: talking about regulating law. the way if you go to somebody's uh, you go to a lake, the state regulates your behavior on the lake, and you have to have a, a license to fish, and you have to like this. Sort That's of your... right.
4: You so, have to have a license to hunt. It. So is there um,
3: a, are there moments in constitutional law? Are there decisions? Um, you know, flowing from the Second Amendment, the time of the drafting or the ratification of the Second Amendment or whatever, that where uh, cases have been brought before the court that say the government has tried to infringe on my rights to hold, uh, you know, to to own guns. You know, you, what you just described was, you know, seemed very reasonable. And I mean, that's your opinion. But but have there been kind of landmark cases that that courts uh, where, well, where established
4: yeah. In the 19th century, there were a number of statutes passed prohibiting the ownership of certain kinds of weapons, and occasionally those cases went to court, and invariably, almost always in state court, not in federal court, and almost invariably, the state courts would uphold the right of the state legislature, for example, to, to ban bowie knives, to ban derringers because they were concealed weapons. There had been... Laws banning concealed weapons all over the United States uh, in the 19th century. Th- this was pretty common. There were laws, of course, banning free blacks from owning guns in, in, uh, in the South. Uh, and and by, by the way, the Constitution doesn't apply to citizens. You, know, you should keep that in mind. Constitution applies to everybody in the United States. Uh, for, for example, the, the, um, the right to a jury trial. It doesn't say a citizen shall have a right to a jury trial. It says that there can be no trials in a federal court without a jury trial. So after 9 after 11 and George Bush initially said, well, you know, terrorists have no rights, he found out otherwise. The, the Supreme Court said, yep, they got the same rights to a fair trial that anybody else does. Because it's
3: a function of how the court works, not about the individual. It's like a, in order to right. establish and, that. And,
4: and, and it's a limitation on what the government can do. As much as anything else, all right. So, if you had an amendment which said that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, in Virginia in 1850, the people would have included lots of free blacks. They might not be citizens, but they were part of the general population. They were, you know, they were counted for purposes of representation uh, at fully. By the way, only slaves were counted at three fifths. And so one might say, well, the right of the people to keep and bear arms means you can't pass a law saying free blacks can't own guns. But of course, we know every slave state said that. Um, in some Western states, they passed laws saying Indians can't have guns. You know, Now, these are racist laws. These are not laws that we want to go back to, but they are an example of why it's very clear that everybody understood. Well, what about on the other the right side? What about on the not other certain. Paul, what about on the other side where
3: somebody yeah. said the government, you know, the government tried to take we, – we talked yesterday about uh, the one law where the police officer wanted a concealed weapon in, uh, uh, license in the District of Columbia and was denied it. And then that went to the Supreme Court, and, uh, and the Supreme Court held that he uh, – Had a right. That he had a right to have that. Concealed Weapon Permit or whatever.
2: Right. Is that uh, District of Columbia
4: versus Heller? That's Heller versus District of Columbia. Yeah. So so what's your, so what's your question?
3: Well, I want to know what, lay, is that the first one like that? I mean, wait, well, first of all, what year was that? He, it, it, it was 2008,
2: 2008. I believe. Yeah.
3: So surely uh, sometime between 1891 and 2008 somebody said the government took away my guns and the government decided uh, yeah, yeah, they did or no, they didn't.
4: Believe it or not, Until the 21st century, there was only one significant gun control case to ever come before the Supreme Court. It was in the 1930s, and it involved the right to own a sawed-off shotgun because Congress had passed a law saying that you could not own a sawed-off shotgun because the only purpose of a sawed-off shotgun was to kill people in a robbery. It was to to rob a bank or for uh, organized crime. And the Supreme Court upheld the constitutional the Congress's right to ban sawed-off shotguns. Can I say that Uh, again? The Supreme Court upheld the right of of Congress to ban the ownership of a sawed-off
2: shotgun. Yeah, uh, the uh, opinion read, in the absence of any evidence tending to show that possession or use of a shotgun having a barrel of less than 18 inches in length at this time has some reasonable relationship to any preservation or efficiency of a well-regulated militia, we cannot say that the Second Amendment guarantees the right to keep and bear such an instrument. This is an interesting decision uh, applicable uh, to the present situation. Is it not? I mean, uh, uh, aren't we we in a similar circumstance where, where where um, you know uh, a Second Amendment uh, right uh, has has proven to be a little bit dangerous for uh, not just the boys in blue back in 1939, but uh, you know
4: uh,
3: the kids these days. It's, inf- it's so. infringing on the first your, your right for of liberty and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If, if you're right, I mean, so, well, but it's a matter he, of degree of weapon. Uh, Sean,
4: Sean, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not in the Constitution. It's part of the Declaration of Independence. It is not in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't say you have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that was what Mr. Jefferson wrote. And of course, at the very time he wrote it, he owned about 175 people for whom he was giving neither liberty nor the pursuit of their happiness. All right, but so but where in that's, the Constitution? Well, well, what in our constitutional law?
3: So, what, what in the Constitution pushes back against, uh, you know, establishes the, uh, you know, my right? To, to, there's no right to be alive. Establishing the that that fundamental idea isn't in the Constitution.
4: Well, the Constitution says that you you cannot be denied uh, your your life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So they so they can't throw you in the slammer without a, a fair trial.
3: Or a citizen can't, can't kill. Or a citizen can't kill another citizen.
4: Well, the the, the, the a citizen can't kill another citizen because it's against the law to murder people. You don't have to get to the Constitution. To get there. Keep in mind, what a constitution does, It set up a framework of government. It says, this is how the government's going to operate, and it says, because we understand that some people get into power and do bad things to people, or because we understand that sometimes governments will do things that aren't right, we're going to put some limitations on what the government cannot do. So for example, Congress can make no law prohibiting freedom of speech. Okay? Now, does that mean that we can speak anytime we want, that, that you can run a sound truck through my neighborhood at 3 in the morning and wake me up? And the answer is no, because even though you have a right to say what you want, that is, the right you you have the right to your content of your speech, you can't do it anywhere you want. You can only do it in some places. We have a right to freedom of religion. We have a right to set up our temple our mosque our synagogue our church our cathedral our kingdom hall we can put up any of these things and we can go to worship but again we can't say my religion says that i have to get out in the middle of the santa monica freeway at five o'clock in the afternoon and pray because because the law would say no you don't have to pray there you can't pray there not then probably not ever it's a freeway we regulate all kinds of things. Um, and, and what's fascinating about the, the, the firearms issue is the position of the, the strong position of the people who are opposed to firearms regulation is they essentially say, "You can't regulate this ever. You can't control it. You can't have what, what the court says in terms of speech, time, place or manner regulation. Uh, You can't say you have to have a license to own a weapon the way you have to have a license to own a car. You know, we require that people have insurance to own a car. Why? Because if I drive my car, I may harm you. And therefore, I have to be publicly, I have to be insured against harming you. You know, I don't have to have collision on my own car. I have a right to wreck my car, no problem. But I have to have insurance against wrecking your car but when the government says well maybe you should have insurance so that if you kill somebody or wound somebody with your gun that you have to have insurance to protect that and suddenly everybody says oh no that's taking our second amendment right away from us right, wh- um how far how far do you want to take it
3: well we if we're going um i'm going to take a quick break uh i have so many questions coming back i mean i want to know about um you know orwell in 19 uh, 1984 i want to know about uh, if there's some sort of uh, chaos in uh, you know some some uh, a backpack nuke goes off somewhere or there's a massive natural disaster and and the 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 fabric of society becomes unhinged and i and i need to protect you know i i want to uh i feel the need or i have the need to to defend myself or my family or whatever we're going to get into all that after the break um Thank you, Dr. Frankelman. So interesting. I could probably ask you questions. I want to take your course. I'm to, I, do you offer a course on that? I want to take a course.
4: You know, uh, for, you, know for, yeah, you can do it two ways. You can fly me to Albany or you can go to your friends at, at USC Law School and say, hey, I want to – Endow a chair to bring this guy to teach, so I can take his All right, class. here we go. You know, chair endowers. Uh, pay
3: attention, Doctor
2: Finkelman. Just uh, r- r- real quickly, if you don't mind uh, me asking, C.I. so I
4: have to go go out there. Yeah. Does
2: Alex Popov? Uh, did he? The, did he end up getting the ball?
4: I can't remember. Oh, uh, okay. The the ball the ball story very quickly. Um, the film shows Alex Pop Alex Popov lifts his glove up in the air. The ball goes right into the glove. Right. He brings the glove to his chest. Right. He's got the. By any measurable standard, he owns the ball. Yes. He then gets bobbed. Uh, Twelve people knock him down. The ball falls out of his glove. Somebody else ends up with the ball who's in the bottom of this pile of people. Right. The Pop-offs <laughs> to get the ball back. The judge starts the case by saying that he has never played baseball and he's never been to a baseball game. <laughs> I thought right then and there he should have what they call recuse He's himself. himself that. Yeah. He's not competent to hear the case. Uh, he should recuse and, himself as an
3: American. I mean, oh, what is that? I mean, well, there's, there's always, well there's always know, he, he,
4: listen, <laughs> he lived in San Francisco. Um, I, I'm playing a uh, California joke here. Right. But anyhow, uh, so the judge ultimately says sell the ball and divide the value right. of the ball. Between That's the
3: right. Schools. That's that bites. Uh,
4: uh, my view is that this is a horrendously bad decision. Because it essentially rewards people for fighting in the stands and mugging somebody. Huh. Uh, the judge, I think, just didn't want to decide the case. And because litigation is so expensive, there's no appeal. So the end result is the. the um...
3: I have to, this image of those orange or apple peelers where you put the ball in the middle and you, you go, shoom, and it comes up with a bunch of even pieces. Right. We're gonna go on a break. Don't go anywhere, Doctor Fink. We'll be right back. Right here. To the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.
2: The SodaStream soda maker is fun as hell. The
4: kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to sodastream.com.
2: Don't stress this holiday season searching for the perfect gift. Send giant freshly dipped strawberries from Sherry's Berry starting at just $19.99. That's over a 40% savings. These strawberries are enormous, fresh, juicy, and mouthwatering. Dipped in white milk and dark chocolate goodness. Covered with chocolate chips, crushed almonds, and decorative swizzle. Just go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and enter Toad Hop. If for Toad Hop listeners, they can double their berries for just $10 more. This is perfect for neighbors, friends, clients, co-workers, or just about anyone. They also make great hostess gifts or snacks for your holiday party. To get this special Sherry's Berries offer, call 866-Fruit02. Or even better, visit berries.com. That's dot com. Click on the microphone in the top right corner and type in Toad Hop. Order now. Offer expires Friday at midnight. Hey, Toad Hop listeners, what's going on? This is Christian Harloff. And I am Mark Ellis from Schmo's No, We are the only video reviewers accredited on Rotten Tomatoes. Look and now, you. Christian, Look somehow you. we got our own podcast on the Toad Hop Network. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We basically go back and forth, and we have a co host, Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica. We talk movies. Just kind of back and forth, regular people talking movies. We start talking movies at tangents into a number of different things. Sometimes yep. we ask for it, sometimes we don't. We take a lot of calls yep. from everybody in our uh, dutifully Schmoville. named city, Schmoville. Those are our fans. To take a lot of tweets. Yep. So make sure you check out the Schmoes No Movies podcast every Thursday night on the Toad Hop Network from 8 to 10 p.m. Yes, indeed. And if you miss it, go back, watch it on the ToadHopNetwork.com, download it on the audio from iTunes. Because look, we see movies before a lot of people do, but we can tell you about them <laughs> if you like them, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. Tune your own horn there with our oh, press no, no, greetings. No, no, just While kidding. you are at our site or you're on iTunes, yes. please leave a comment and rate the podcast. Make us number one because we need
3: it. We have. Self esteem issues. Is that hunk of junk you call a car always breaking down and leaving you in the dust? Log on to Dyson Motors.com and check out Dyson's full inventory online. With hundreds of quality cars in stock of all makes and models, you can find the next car of your dreams in minutes. And know you're getting super low pricing. Purchase a car today from Dyson Motors and receive a year of free oil changes. Bad credit? Worried about financing? Log on and get pre-approved in seconds. Go to Dyson-Motors.com and find your new car today.
2: With Gamefly, choose from over 6,000 titles. Play as long as you want and send them back when you're done. $8.95 to start, no late fees. Gamefly.com, games
3: delivered.
1: A great website if you are in the market for gift-giving, redenvelope.com. They have over 300 unique and inspired new products along with their classic favorites that are going to make gift-giving very, very easy. All you have to do is go to redenvelope.com, enter Heidi and Frank at the checkout, and save
3: 20%. Welcome
2: back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested
4: people.
3: Welcome
2: to hour number two of Vox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin.
3: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Vox Populi. I'm going to, before doing anything else, mention that Sherry's Berries, Sherry is a friend of the family, I would say, Mm, uh, Sherry. Sherry's berries. Sherry's a friend of the family. This is actually a uh, a full blown sponsorship plug we're doing right here. Well, you, um, want me to do it. you you want to do it? You got it for, as long as you really mean it. You oh. got to do it like the, you've had these chocolate covered strawberries. Let They're me good. You, let me tell you a little about Sherry's berries. All right, come on now. Oh no, right. here we go. Let's see how he does.
2: Do you get to see all your friends and family during the holidays? Who will you miss this year? Who are you excited to see? Do you know how many more shopping days do you, uh, you have till Christmas? Not enough. It will be here sooner than you think. Don't wait until it's too late. Order festive holiday berries with one visit to Sherry's Berries. And if you wait, want... wait, wait.
3: Sherrysberries.com?
2: Oh,
3: see, I'm handing this back. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know.
2: <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me tell you a little uh, about Sherry's Berries. It's, it's
3: uh, berries.com. B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot com. B E R R I E S dot com. You can pick out, the, you know what's going to, it's going to take too long because you have like too many options of oh, so cool many berries! chocolate covered berries. This is what they look like. Wait, I'm going to hold it up to the uh, camera. Can they see it? I want them right now. Is there any way we can get Sherry to deliver Sherry, some on air? I, I think the commercial will go better. Uh, to access this, oh, there's a call to action. To access this special 1999 Sherry's Berries offer, call 866 Fruit Zero Two. Not what Mac would think it is. zero two, or even better, visit berries.com, B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Uh, click on the microphone at the top right corner and type in Toad Hop. Type in Toad Hop. Go to berries.com, click on the microphone, and type in Toad Hop. Order now. Offer expires Friday at noon. Uh, they, I stand by that product. The Sherry's Berries Chocolate Covered Strawberries are a, incredible. And I would even – you know what? I want to send some – uh, to Dr. Finkelman, so I know your address. If, if I I have your address, I'm going to send you some Sherry's berries, Doc. Uh,
4: that sounds awesome.
3: <laughs> All right. So now that we've covered our uh, our advertisement for Sherry's berries, um, what kind of berries? They're they're strawberries, mm. okay. and they're dipped in chocolate, and then oh. they're and then they're shipped to you in these boxes, and it's like you've just won a little a little lottery. You've you um, won a sweet lottery.
4: <laughs> sounds awesome.
3: <laughs> All right. So. <sighs> Lordy, yeah. This, yes. I- this idea that oh bro, you two, you two are going to get along just fine. He's in a pod, Mac and Paul. The Mac and Paul show. Um, there's so many places. To, l- let's talk about this idea of civil breakdown. You know, what okay. happened in Hurricane Katrina? I lived during the LA riots here in Los Angeles. Um, I don't know. What are some other big ones in uh, at least in the 20th century that we know about? Jersey. The Jer- Jersey? Which Stone one? Island. Oh, Stab- yeah. Oh, in the hurricane. yeah. But I, you didn't see like. How, about, how a,
4: about blowing up a federal building in Oklahoma City?
3: Blowing up the federal. Well, but that's different. I want to. I want to try and just how, for the how moment.
2: About
3: 9-11? 9/11 yeah, 9 But that. But again, those were the. That's a real collapse in our social structures. In nine eleven in Oklahoma okay, City, that's, that's people.
4: That's fair. I, I see what you're getting at. You. You have a collapse in the social structure when there are riots that get out of hand. And when you have a natural disaster that ca- that requires immediate action, when when the government prevent-
3: when the government can't be responsive to the needs of the people, so if something, well, I
4: mean- well, wait a minute though, you see after well, th- think of the think of the earthquake in San Francisco uh, the day before uh, when the World Series was going to be played about, and the I guess that was in the early 1980s, eighty nine. Uh, okay, 80, late 80s. Yeah, the 89. Real, the earthquake. Um, I think the government did a marvelous job of protecting life, of saving people. Uh, of, but the government also did things like tell people, you may not go to your house. No, you may not retrieve your belongings. And effectively, that means your belongings may be destroyed. You may never get your belongings. We have to do this for your safety. And for the safety of others this is
3: the point at which the government can institute martial law it took it took like three days. Between the time that uh, the Rodney King riots uh, verdict was read and and the, the the buildings were burning and so forth, it took like two and a half three days before the National Guard got called up and you know uh, uh, Humvees were driving into you know occupied Los Angeles and and so forth. There are during certain natural disasters. You know, in a in an economy in in a in a place that's overpopulated, it's hard enough to move around on the streets with you know when everything's fine because of traffic, you know, overpopulation, everything else. If all of a sudden some, you know, terrorist attack or natural disaster. Uh, or some other, some other political upheaval, some force majeure happens where citizens do not feel – are not safe. They're being robbed. They're being you know, uh, pillaged, raped, whatever. You know what I mean? There's, there, there's, mm-hmm. Is there anything in the Constitution that either protects or prohibits uh, Americans from having whatever arsenal they need in their home to protect themselves against the banding hordes of you know, maniacs? That would do them harm.
4: Is there anything? Well, the the Constitution protects your right to your property. Constitution says that the government take can't take your property without due process and just compensation. The Constitution uh, essentially gives people enormous individual liberty to do many things. Uh, I I think you're almost getting at it in a kind of a backwards way. It isn't a question of what does the Constitution protect, because the Constitution, as I said, sets up a form of government. And by the way, most of our government is done at the state level, not at the federal level. Uh, When there's a riot in Los Angeles, it's the governor of California who is going to be the first guy on on the scene. And the Constitution of the the state of California undoubtedly gives the governor the power to declare martial law, to send in the National Guard, to send in the police, to close down roads for purposes of public safety. There's all kinds of legislation like that. Um, That's what the Constitution does. Uh, It doesn't either give you or not give you the right to say own a a pistol to protect your your home from invasion there's nothing in the constitution one way or the other that says you have a right to have that pistol that would be regulated by state law, And the question is, is, how do you regulate that according to state law? And one of the essences of a, of a system of federalism is that we generally give local authorities, states or cities or counties, vast discretion on what they are going to regulate and how they're going to regulate it. Uh, the question becomes, should the national government step in at certain levels of this regulation and say, we're not going to allow people to buy body armor because we know the only reason people buy body armor is to put on body armor to go shoot other people up and to rob banks. There was a I, saw rob- a commercial,
3: I saw a commercial this morning. It was one of the most horrifying, almost comedic pieces of insanity where they showed little kids who looked exactly like the little kids – there's six of them being buried today, by the way – looked exactly like the little, one of the little girls, but the backpacks were being outfitted with Kevlar. The little kid backpack you know what I mean I mean Um, uh, uh, Kevlar can be used as a defensive thing within the home if somebody's being attacked I I think it's
4: well I'm not not worried about backpacks I'm worried about being able to buy body armor because you're only buying body armor if you're planning to go into combat Uh, the the, face it people aren't going to be walking around the streets in their body armor all day long Um, and 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 I and I think we have to be serious about understanding the distinctions between the fact that you can occasionally show a benign and peaceful use for something. Take, 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 a, take a, a, an automatic weapon or a semi-automatic weapon that, that has, a, has 20 bullets or 19 bullets in the clip. You can't claim that you're going to go deer hunting with this, with this weapon. Because the fact is you get one, maybe two shots at the deer, and the deer is gone. People aren't buying these weapons because they are hunters or because they are sportsmen. They're buying them either because they are planning to do something violent, or they think they might want to do something violent. I
3: just heard a collective... Uh, it was like people listening to this conversation were waiting for the chink in the armor to happen, and they just got it because, you know, probably a lion share. A, I would say a preponderance, if not almost all, of the people who buy these guns don't intend to go out and and actually physically, you know, kill people. They they want the ability to uh, do that, but that's not their their intention. So, so l- re- let
4: me let me let me ask you: Most states require that you keep your gun locked in a in a locked gun closet, right? Yeah. Especially, especially those kinds of weapons. Uh, all gun safety people would tell you you should never leave bullets in these guns because that's how little kids get killed. So you're not buying them to protect yourself from the home invasion because by the time the home invasion takes place, uh, you know, you're know you not going to be able to unlock the gun case, get the gun out, load it.
3: Uh, See, I feel like when we get into the scenarios, it's like we get into the weeds. I want to know, like, is is the solution towards... What is clearly an abdication of responsibility on the part of the government, the cowardice of a lot of legislators legislators to to navigate these weeds to make sure that people who have a right or who, have a, who who have a feeling that they should have a right are as you know, uh, are as uh, mollified as possible, and the people who have a right to be protected are as protected as possible. I feel like the legislators have 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 just punted time after time on this thing and There's – and I feel like when we go into the weeds, where do you go? Do you make a constitutional amendment to the Second Amendment where you start – I don't think you
4: need a constitutional amendment. I think you need simply rational, meaningful legislation that does a number of things. One of the things it does is to say that if you want to have a gun, you have to pass a gun safety test, just like if you want to have a car, you have to pass a driver's test. If you want to fly a plane, you have to have a pilot's license. Uh, I don't think this is a, a particularly onerous thing, and I think this is something that the NRA, if they are serious about the rights of people to own firearms, ought to jump on and say, yeah... We would love to train everybody in gun safety and the proper use of, of firearms. So, so that's the first thing. You start saying we, we we have to have a a actual safety. You also have to have insurance because, like everything else in our country, when you leave your home and you take lethal things out of your home, you have to be able to make people whole if you damage them. So I have insurance on my car. I should have insurance liability insurance on my gun.
3: I can't imagine can, an insurance company wanting to take that risk. Well, the
4: insurance company will, will, will take that risk because there are an awful lot of gun owners and yeah, most of them are going out there and shooting There's people. money to
3: be made, man. Yeah, but just a few bad incidents where the family sue against wrongful death and they could and they can, they can go well, to the insurance are, company for the are, full...
4: you know, you, you insure to... Most lawsuits settle for the limits of the policies. The policies are based on, on 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 you know how much you pay for the policy. I, I mean, I think these are relatively easy things to work out. The next thing you do is you make a rational decision about what kinds of firearms make sense in our society. Because as you pointed out, if you are allowed to own what we generically call assault style rifles assault assault weapons whether they're semi-automatic or automatic weapons uh and there are minor technical differences between these if we allow people to own assault weapons why can't they own machine guns or submachine guns why can't they have a bazooka uh and why can't they have a small thermonuclear device in their house to protect them from from people obviously we make distinctions and and that is what legislation should is all about. So, how, how is the, how is the, the, um, how
3: is it that these laws are, have not been, how come this hasn't been adjudicated before? I mean, or, or why are we, it's, it seems like such common sense to a majority of Americans being polled now looking at these polls that you shouldn't be able to have a machine gun with the extra large clip and, you, you know, and the, why hasn't that, what's the argument that's used to, Frustrate the ability to, you know, regulate that.
4: Well, you probably have the figures in front of you, but the first argument is the vast amount of lobbying money that the National Rifle Association. But what's the
3: legal in. argument? What's the legal argument that allows for that for that protection, for that for that? Uh...
4: The, the the legal argument argument always comes back to I have a Second Amendment right to own whatever weapon I want.
3: And, and they're talking it, it, about the language in the Second Amendment that says, "Have the uh, shall not be the right to bear arms shall not be infringed."
4: That's right, but but, but in fact, we infringe. But, but by the way, think of it this way. Think of another thing. Okay, if if you go to prison, you have a right to freedom of religion. You can have your Bible or your Quran in prison. If you follow the logic of the Second Amendment, you should also be able to allow your Take your pistol to prison, right? Because you still have your Second Amendment rights, just like you still have your First. Amendment No, rights.
3: I mean you you surrender your rights when you're convicted of a crime. I mean those those. But you are- don't
4: you don't surrender your your rights to to freedom of religion. You don't. The courts have said over and over again that we have to accommodate. I just had a tour of uh, of New York's uh, maximum security prison at Coxsackie, and they have a, a small kosher kitchen because the the Orthodox Jews in in that prison say, we want kosher food. The prison has to give them kosher food. Um, And if you're a vegetarian, and and, and some prisons have now decided to go no pork at all because they have so many Muslim prisoners, they've decided it's easier just not to serve pork rather than have to have the the Muslim meals and the non-Muslim meals. So we, in fact, recognize... A right to freedom of religion. When we go to prison, we recognize a right to freedom to read books. We recognize a right of people to write letters when they're in prison. Um, but at the same time, we say you can't have freedom of assembly in prison. But 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 the so but what the, is NRA, a right? What, what is a right? Raises the gun argument to one that is so sacrosanct that you they think you can carry a gun anywhere in some states. In order not to carry a gun into a house of worship, the house of worship has to put up a sign saying you may not bring a firearm into this house of worship. Uh, this is again what is,
3: a, what, is the, what is a right We hold inviolate that you know certain truths that uh, inalienable rights, what's a right? What is a right? Is it a right well, to, uh, offered by God? Is it a right offered by uh, enshrined in the... Con- what is a right? Oh boy! <laughs> well, well,
4: you're, you're asking a, a, a deeply, hugely philosophical question that, that in the next uh, 25 minutes we don't have time <laughs> to answer. Uh, <laughs> but, solve but, it, Dr. Paul, solve it. So, solve it, okay. A, a right is something that the society collectively says you have. And any society must collectively limit where your rights end. Uh, I have a right to walk around my house without any clothes on. I don't have a right to walk down to the public library in most places without any clothes on. Uh, Now, you know, I surely have an inalienable right to take a shower without my clothes on. Uh, um, But the society says, yeah, but that right stops at your front door. You can't take that right outside uh, unless you go to the nudist beach. Uh, there, are, the, the, the moment we leave our house, we encounter one after another of limitations. You don't have a right to cross the, against the light. Doctor Freeman, I've right got to a drive uh, through the stop sign.
3: I have a caller calling in. Let's take a call and see what they we'll see what their thought is about this. You whole have thing. a right
4: to take that call. I, mm-hmm. have a, I have
3: a right to take it's infringed on by nothing. Okay, hold on. Uh, courtesy. Hello, this is Sean. You are on the air with Dr. Finkelman and uh, Mackenzie and everybody here at uh, Vox Populi. Hi. Hello there. Who are you and where, where are you? I
5: am in Wyoming.
3: You're in Wyoming, which uh, I'm sure has pretty, um, pretty. Uh, uh, let's see, hmm, how do I phrase it? I bet gun, gun rights are protected pretty severely in, in, uh, in Wyoming. What, they what
4: have, the, Wyoming has pretty liberal gun laws. Go go
3: ahead. Go, uh, go ahead and tell me uh, what, what's your name.
5: It's Anna Tesal. Anna. Yes.
3: All right. Hi, Anna. What are you thinking about this conversation? You've been listening. What What are your thoughts? What you have a question?
5: Yeah. Um, you know, I was just I've been listening for like the past hour, and my boss is getting mad because I'm not working. But yeah. um, I think the underlying problem that we have in this constitution and not the Constitution, I don't know how to put it. It's like we can have the Constitution, we can have our rights protected, but then we can also have regulations to, you know, to those rights that we have protected. Like, yeah, Wyoming, you definitely have a lot of gun-affiliated people, and of course they don't want their rights to be taken away but at the same time I think that we need to have them regulated. Like uh, a lot of people I know have several guns and they don't really use them all and yeah a lot of people collect them but I think there needs to be a point to say when is enough, you know?
3: All right, Anna, thank you very much for your call.
5: Thanks.
3: All right, we've got another one here. Uh Hello, this is Sean you're on Vox Populi. Who is this, and where are you calling from?
1: I am uh, Kara. I'm calling from Indiana.
3: Hi, Kara. How are you doing today?
1: I'm very wonderful, thank you. How are you?
3: We're, uh, you know, I feel a little less uh, victimized today because we're at least <laughs> thinking about things and trying to communicate about them. What Indiana? I'm from. I'm, my wife is from Indiana. I've spent much, much, many years of my life, Rudy, and all that, and everything in Indiana. So, uh, so, and I know uh, how. Um, I know how I've shot a lot of guns in Indiana, actually. I've done a lot of recreational gun shooting in Indiana. So tell me what, what you're thinking about and if you have any questions.
1: Oh, well, I've been following uh, you on Twitter, of course, you know, and that's how I uh, uh, was listening to the program. I was actually listening to the program before I found you on Twitter. So I've been, <clears throat> excuse me, advertising for you a while. Thank you. But uh, the, the guy that you have today, Dr. Pickleman, I, I think is very wonderful. Uh, but I had uh, some questions. Uh, that I was posting on there. Of course, there are sixty thousand different questions that arise
3: from. What's the whole your issue. What's your Twitter handle? Uh,
1: it's Kara Moore nineteen sixty seven. You know me. <laughs> oh
3: hi, Kara. All right, so good. Uh, so give me a good question for Dr. Finkelman. Uh,
1: the question that I had, uh, that I thought was uh, very good, was um, uh, the permission to use guns in and citizens arrest cases. Versus uh, constitutional law, because, you know, each state has a uh, citizen's arrest uh, provision. And, and I was wondering how this, um, you know, might conflict with the constitutional law. Because, you know, uh, under the Constitution, uh, the police have to read the Miranda rights, which, uh, uh, you know, is constitutional. So uh, the question was, permission to use guns is... Uh, in
3: a citizen's arrest. Thoughts Paul on the uh, on that idea the the citizen's arrest is there is there any uh, how does a citizen's arrest work relative to the Well, you
4: know something this is not something that I that, that I um know a whole lot about. I would say basically that a citizen's arrest is is something that is archaic and is uh not really anything that, that functions very much in the United States today. And I think if somebody stops you um, for, for a citizen's arrest, uh, they better be very sure that they know what they're doing. Um, uh, because the reality is, is that we have gone away from a world where the citizens are the primary law enforcers, and for very good reasons. Because the citizens, for one thing, aren't trained to be primary law enforcers, uh, and they don't know what they're doing most of the time, and they may violate people's rights in all kinds of ways. Um, In many states, there is technically a law, which uh, a right for a citizen to arrest somebody who's involved in a felony to stop the felony from taking place. But I think if you use your gun in that situation and what if it turns out that the person is innocent of anything, uh, you might be harming somebody unnecessarily. You might find yourself liable for uh, a suit or even a prosecution. Uh, I, I, I One of the things that um, – that, that, Nine, An nine, example of this uh, comes to my mind from the movies. If you remember the the movie uh, Patton with George C. Scott, it's my favorite movie
3: a, of all time. That and Gandhi. Interestingly,
4: okay, there's there, there's a there's a scene in there's the scene in the movie Patton where the where the German high command is trying to understand Patton, and one of the people who's been tasked at explaining to them what Patton is all about hey, explains there, everyone, how okay. Patton is in a city in a street in New York, and he sees some woman being dragged into a car by a man and he runs after the car and stops the car and pulls his service revolver. And it turns out that it's a girl and her fiance, and they're just playing a game and driving off. Um, and, and the idea is to show how impulsive Patton is. But the other story is of course that, um, citizens have to be very careful about running around arresting each other. Uh, I think that's the answer to citizens' arrest is nine one one. If you see something happening, call nine one one. Get somebody in there who's a professional because if it's really a violent issue, you may end up getting hurt or killed. And if it's not a crime, you may end up harming somebody um, for no good reason whatsoever. Do you really know what the law is? All right, Karen. On the other hand, oh, go ahead. And this is the final thing. We all know that if we see something horrible happen. We may step in on our own and do something to prevent violence from taking place, to prevent a harm from taking but place. That's di- that's but different so a, a, a,
3: that's different than a that's different than a a citizens arrest as like to be protected under law. That's a question of like you know just t- helping helping your, your your neighbor, helping your your fellow citizen as right. In. But what do you?
4: Th- that's what a citizens arrest would be.
3: Okay, let me um. I always think of like a, a drunk guy or a, a guy robbing a bank in an old, you know, nineteen twenties. I'm making a citizen's arrest. <laughs> Hold on, we've got uh, Kara. Thank you for your call. I've got a nine zero four call on here. Who, who's who's calling you? I'm guessing it's Brett.
0: You are correct, sir. Brett is
3: uh Dr. Fingerman, Brett is a a regular caller to the show. A wonderful human being. Uh, father and a uh, 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 veteran, and um, I could go on. And he uh, works in the public school systems, and just a, a great where, guy. Where, where's
4: Brett calling
3: from? He's in Florida, and he also okay. is. Uh, he's a very proud gun owner and a and an ardent um, uh, defender of the Second Amendment, as he sees it. I can't. W- I'm just going to sit back for five, ten minutes and listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, what do you what are you thinking, pal? I've been watching your. Uh, I, I know. Let me just say this. Um, when I was so upset on Friday at, during the uh, the immediate aftermath of the of the um, uh, Newtown school shooting, in Connecticut, I it was so I I had this feeling of like it would be most appropriate for me not to communicate. It probably is not in my best interest you know personally professionally as a radio show host it's just un unseemly to use twitter to share my emotions in that moment but i just couldn't help myself i just thought you know what in the in the 72 hours it's going to take between friday morning and Monday, midday, for anybody in a position of authority or responsibility to, to, to really act on this, it's going to dissipate. Christmas is here and, and the shock is going to kind of turn to normal. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's awful. We do, we do 48, 30, 36 to 72 hours of coverage, whether it's Virginia Tech or the movie theater or it's in Colorado or Oregon or whatever it is we do. And, and we're, you're just kind of this mind numbing, uh, you know, pattern of, shock, horror, outrage, whatever, and next. And I just felt like I could feel a kind of global anguish and and not just at the horror of it but a pulse to say like – There is something we can do. Now, maybe if we passed every law that even the most liberal person has out there, they're not going to stop everything, and they may not even have stopped something like this. Someone else will find a way to to get a gun or so forth. But on the trend line, you might be able to reduce by 10 percent, 30 percent, 50 percent, who knows over time if you take certain precautions. So I noticed that, that Brett, you elected – you started to engage it and then because I was, I was waiting to see where you'd go with it, and then you didn't engage it. You kind of waited. And this seems to me uh, on the Internet, unless I just wasn't following your strand. this is the first time that you've since this tragedy that you're re- ready to kind of have the discussion. So, so I, I, I just want you to know that I, I was thinking about you during it, and I'm, I'm eager to hear what you have to say on this subject.
0: Um, yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, I, I kind of I, I, I got a little upset with, with Christine for a second because she, she was very upset, and, and I don't get me wrong, I was very upset. Two, three, four years ago, that could have very well been my wife in a classroom just like that. You know, So it, it hit very hard, and you know I have children, too, and, and I, I was balling all day, too. I could tell. Um, so I chose not to engage because I felt that it was immediately going to become the circus that it became, and, and I really thought that you know we ought to give these parents in this town a little breather you know at least a little well obama I mean, yesterday did you guys, did you find that thing and, and, and i didn't think and i knew it was going to become a political um and i didn't want that i didn't want to contribute to that
3: all right so, so now i mean in yesterday obama and we were looking for it here from the podium at the uh, white house press room Said, listen. Since Friday, and he started reading off the places all around the country where you know two cops had been killed here, and a lady killed Wait, in the casino there, and a person killed in the in a hospital here, and just he just started, you know, he's just kind of re- reading them off, and and uh, so you know it's the and what I was thinking of during that was you know it's been a, a virtual third world country in Chicago for the last couple of years. I mean, the yeah, my, kids, my kids brother
0: are, lives there. I mean, it's and kids it's,
3: are getting gunned down left, right, and center. You know, and and, 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 Sean, and if, 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 if I can just help you out
2: here, between 10 2005 and 2010, 2000, which is 2000,
3: the best murder we Brett, we've 33 gun homicides. Brett, hang, hold on, hold on, hold on. The, the way the uh, the sound system works at the show is what we we literally can't interrupt each other. So, Brett, oh, okay. let Dr. Finkelman go for a second here, and then we'll we'll let you. I really want him to hear, and I want to hear you weigh in on your kind of takeaway from this and what you're hoping will happen going forward. But Dr. Finkelman, you're going to set the context. Well, I just
4: wanted to point out that between 2005 and 2010, which is the best statistics we have because it takes a while to accumulate them. uh, There was an average of 33 gun homicides a day in the United States. Uh, In 2010, 31,000 people were killed by guns. Um, If you think about that um, in Vietnam, In the whole history of the Vietnam War, 58,000 Americans were killed in Vietnam. Every two years, we exceed Vietnam in gun homicides in the United States. Um, And it keeps growing and growing. In addition, every year, there are at least 73,000 people who are hospitalized for gun shots above the Thirty thousand or so who are killed. So we're looking at a hundred thousand casualties a year from guns in the United States.
3: All right, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Finger. Let me let me hear from Brett. I know he'll have some thoughts on the. Mil- you were starting to say something about the casualty rate in uh, in oh, Afghanistan. Oh, go, go, the floor say, is oh, yours, oh, Brett.
0: Okay. Okay. First of all, Chicago, ten years, five thousand deaths. Afghanistan, ten years, two thousand deaths. Um, absolutely, hands down, the most restrictive um, gun control is the state of Illinois. And the most restrictive gun control as a city is Chicago. My brother lives there. My dad lives there, very well familiar with uh, what's going on there um, i i The statistics the professors giving are a, a good bit higher than I've read from the FBI but okay, um, there's a lot of gun deaths in the United States. Um, we have uh, two hundred million plus privately owned guns, and probably half that many illegally. Uh, maybe a quarter as many illegally, um, and uh, they're, they're out there. And, and you're not going to do anything about that uh, short of confiscation, which is going to be rather difficult to accomplish um, because most of them aren't registered. Um, we are a gun culture. Um, we are far more violent than any of our contemporary modern societies uh, all around. Uh, and you could probably do two shows on why. Why? Um, you know, and and you can argue about whether or not you should take them away, or whether or not you should keep them. Um, I firmly believe, and and as do most of the people in the culture that I'm in, um, that the right to bear arms is separate from the militia. Uh, and I'm sure the professor disagrees with me. Will you um, finish but, what you're saying? Um, and and I and I do bear arms. I I carry every day. Um, we you know I had an incident where I was mugged. My house has been invaded. Um, you know so it's something that that plays close to home Um, and you know the question of need always comes up you know what do you need this why do you need that and and a professor remarked that you know he doesn't know anybody that hunts with an AR type rifle Um, well I I suspect that's true if you're hunting for deer Um, it's not true when you're hunting for small things and killing varmints as a matter of fact the AR platform's probably used more than anything else in the last 10 years uh, almost everybody I know uses them, and I I would probably hazard a guess. I know quite a few more people who uh, have guns than than the professor does. Um, I know people who compete with them. Um, do you need a 30-round magazine? No, it, it makes things more convenient, but you don't need one. Um, but you know, my everyday handgun comes with a 15-round magazine. The full-size one that I have for the house comes with 19. You know, that's that's not an extended magazine. That's just what it comes with. Um, that's what the police use. Um, and every policeman in the United States is issued a, uh, a carbine rifle of AR configuration, and he carries a Glock, probably, um, which you has see. got 19 rounds in it if he's carrying a 9mm. So the question is, why does he need it? And if the answer is because there are bad guys out there that have gun him, um, well, you know, I'm going to run into those same bad guys, and the average response time is minimum five minutes for a police officer so you know that doesn't mean i'm insensitive to the fact that there are people out there that are killing people and that what happened was a tragedy it just means that's a fact i mean there are there are bad people in the world that want to do bad things to you and occasionally you're gonna run into them it's also a fact that 95% of the handgun or, or the gun homicide not handgun homicide is committed by people with illegal guns so 95% of the gun owners out there are law abiding citizens and by the way, I, I did take quite a bit of issue about the whole carbine thing. I want to go out and, and kill somebody. I don't, and and that's not what I have it for. Uh, I do have one for self defense, but mostly I have one for. Sports. He was just saying
3: that's what it's. You, that's what it's. Designed that was my
0: intention for. in buying it.
3: Right. My I intention said that, in I said buying
0: that. it is that is a home defense weapon, along with the shotgun that's next so, to. So,
3: so Brett, it, just uh, just to just to finish the the thought you you're talking about. Um, I mean, do you as you. Have you looked at the Constitution in your in your mind, or is there a source that has interpreted the Constitution to your satisfaction that that speaks to this issue?
0: Um, well, it's still a lot open-ended, and, and yeah, I spent a lot of time, a lot of years studying both the First and Second Amendment, um, uh, kind of a hobby of mine, and also uh, some things that I've taken some classes in, um, and and you know, I, I'm a big follower of the Supreme Court, and I and I spent a lot of time reading their decisions. Even the ones that bore people.
3: Did you read the um, Heller one? Did you read the Heller one? Oh
0: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because we, tra- we
3: were trying to we were trying to find in the Heller decision if there was a particular uh, it was it, w- it was Scalia who wrote the deci- the, uh, the, the, the 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 opinion de- yeah the opinion right and, and I was right. just wondering if there's somewhere like if you just highlight the operative sentence or or two or three that that uh, spoke to his rationale for the court's rationale for uh, granting the guy the right to that uh, that. They they
0: they basically went back and as I kind of tweeted, very much more succinctly than I wanted to, they went back and took a look at a lot of other precedents and took a lot of uh, a look at a lot of the correspondence and and and, and mentions in the decision. uh, A lot of the correspondence of the founders on the subject of guns and (coughs) excuse me, that's what they came up with. The one that I found to be a more interesting case, (coughs) excuse me, was McDonald versus Chicago which actually incorporated the 14th Amendment. So it's not just the Second Amendment that gives you the right to bear arms. It's also the 14th Amendment and Due Process Clause.
3: Huh. All right, um, Brett, last thought, because I'm gonna, I want Dr. Fingerman to have uh, ample time to kind of talk about that and maybe take another call before we go.
0: Okay, I, I just think that uh, we ought to look at all solutions and not just go with a gun ban, because I, I don't think that's going to do it. it. It didn't do it last time we did it. And and in the, in the political wrangling that's going to happen in a divided house, they're not going to get the gun ban they want. So you're going to end up with a piece of legislation like the last one, which didn't really ban anything. And the other thing to remember, and it's been said several times, you absolutely can get a fully automatic weapon in this country. All you have to do is apply for it and pay the tax stamp. If you have the right to get a gun legally, a regular gun regu- legally, you have the right in all but three states to get a fully automatic machine gun, and you actually can do that for the same weapon that was banned on the assault weapon Dan. So that's well, something to keep in mind.
3: All right, Brett. Th- th- all right. Brett, thank you so much for uh, for calling and, and thought. And uh, my 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 heart is with you, bro. I could actually feel you when I was when I was angry, and I was I, looking yeah, forward I, to this. I moment. was right
0: there with you on the anger, but i, I I'm, you know there's got to be something done. All right. hey, and I'm not an NRA member, and I'm not blocking anything we can come with. I think we should have training. I don't have a problem with that. You know, maybe we close the gun show loophole. Well, doesn't really provide that many guns, according to the FBI. But, uh, but, but Let's cl- do it anyways.
3: But the bush, the bushwhacker, and a bunch of those kind of uh, weapons—if if those were to go out of circulation—you'd be okay with that?
0: No, I wouldn't. But to be honest, somebody with a pistol knows what they're going to do. Is. That same fish in the barrel situation. It's, it's mentally unhinged.
3: It's mentally unhinged people. You had four or five yes. teachers, a principal, a vice principal, and a, a, a teacher, or whatever, who lunged at this guy apparently to try and stop yeah. him. If, any if one he of them had been armed, it, it might have been over right there. If he had to reload, it might have been over right there.
4: Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'll tell less, you what. I
3: talked to a teacher. Than the, less than two seconds. T- to reload. Not if you. Uh, yeah, if you're an expert. But I'll tell you what. Well, when well, I when right, I right. talked to a teacher the next day and I just said, Hey, how you doing? I just want you know we support you. She looked at me and she said, I don't want to have to carry. A gun. I'd like to just teach my class. That was I didn't No, 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 not that. teachers.
0: teachers, no, definitely well,
3: not. So you want right. an armed guard? All right, you, I want to hear I want the a guard. Co- you want to? Well, that's an interesting thought. We have them in our schools. Well, uh, you know, I, I think it's worth discussion. Hey, Brett, uh, it's,
2: Brett, it's Mac. I just wanted to add that I think you're absolutely right. I think it's uh, I think the, the change is not going to come just from legislation, but there's a, there's a lot more work to be done. And I'm glad you brought sure. that up. I've change some minds. Yeah.
3: All right. good Yeah. Be well. Okay, Dr. Finkelman. He he, uh, he was he challenged. He brought up the Fourteenth Amendment. Um, what what are your thoughts on on uh, my buddy Brett's?
4: Well, let me let me start with Chicago since I used to live there, um, and Chicago is like any other large city. Uh, You can have a significant regulation of the access to firearms in Chicago or New York or Washington, and it doesn't do very much good if you can drive to Indiana or New Jersey or Virginia and buy as many handguns or as many other kinds of guns as you want and bring them into the city. The regulations have to be national. If you rely on localities... You're simply uh, saying that the the people who are most mobile, the criminals who are most able to move from place to place, are able to get guns easier uh, than other people. Uh, so, So any kind of gun regulation has to be at the national level. And when you look at... The arguments against gun regulation, you have people who say, we shouldn't have a background check, we shouldn't have a waiting period, we shouldn't have any kind of registration, we shouldn't have any kind of licensing, we shouldn't have any kind of mandatory training. I I mean, if you want to move the culture, you move the culture by beginning to say, that we're going to make some steps. One of the interesting things about your caller is that he says we got to do something, but then he says, well, there's really nothing we can do. Uh, no, so he, he, said the gun, he,
3: he said the, the, gun, sh- he said the loophole, gun show loophole, he said people uh, being trained to f- you know, have a license and trained, he said was good.
4: No, he didn't say anything about licensing. He did say he's in favor of training. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we should do, because he talks about us being a gun culture, when I grew up, we were a drinking culture. People used to go and drink and drive, and drunken driving was a joke. People used to laugh. at. We'd laugh in high school about our friends who got into accidents uh, drinking and driving. Along comes Mothers Against Drunken Driving, and they literally changed our culture. It is now a serious offense to be socially be, be as well as le- socially. So, so, so we can change our culture. Uh, I would like to see a couple of million mothers March on Washington and sit in members' offices and say, when are you going to protect my children? When are you going to take action that will in fact prevent somebody from going from Chicago to Indiana or Kentucky to buy guns and bring them back? Because we will have the same national rules. When are you going to limit certain kinds of weapons? Uh, he says it only takes two seconds to reload if you're an ex. But the reality is, if five people were lunging at this guy while he's reloading, he can't get them all in two seconds. Um, there are lots of things we can begin to do. Um, one of the things, by the way, is to make people criminally responsible for the crimes committed with their guns. So if you buy a gun and your gun is stolen by your son and your son commits a crime, now I know in this case it wouldn't matter because he killed his mother as well, but had she survived... I would say she is criminally liable for bringing guns into the household where she has a mentally imbalanced son, and those guns were not locked up, and those bullets were not locked up. So there are lots of ways that we can begin to force people to think seriously about what they're going to do about the guns they own and to move forward.
3: Dr. Paul Finkman, President William McKinley, Distinguished Professor of Law and Public Policy and Senior Fellow in the Government Law Center and Albany, Albany Law School, I just want to say i i can 't thank you enough on behalf of uh, mackenzie and, uh, and and Francisco and Johnny Ice here, the entire audience uh, you're, you're, uh, I really, really, really learned a lot from our conversation yesterday from the conversation we had on air. I expect to be calling on you uh, constantly as the the Vox populi uh, constitutional law. Contributor, I, I second that amendment. <laughs> and uh, thank you for your, your your good your good thoughts and your contribution today. It uh, it really means the world to me. And I have I hope you have a safe drive back from Duke to uh, to Albany and uh, and we'll be speaking with you shortly. And I've got thank a couple you. of packages and, in the and mail and to thanks you. Thanks
4: to your callers and, and tweeters. Thank you very much.
3: All right, my friend. Goodbye for now. There's things in the mail to you coming soon. Okay, I'm looking
4: forward to them. Bye. <laughs>
3: Bye. Cheers. All right, uh, Mac. Uh, would you like to offer a thought? We have, we don't have many minutes left, so just uh, I, I want to give you. A, oh, this, Actually, you know what? Let me do it this way. Francisco, do you have anything you want to say on this topic? No. Johnny Ice, do you have any contributions you want to make? Okay, Mac. Best thought? in the business. Those two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> better what, to be heard, not the, uh, seen, and not heard. You talk about the commencement speech. No, I want you to comment on this issue. Well, you...
2: Uh, I'm. You know, I I I think I think both those guys, uh, both Dr. Finkelman and uh, and and our friend Brett. Uh, you know. Uh, are right about 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 some things, uh, you know. I, I think I think I think that in the long run, this um, this thing that happened in in, in Connecticut will end up. Um, with a positive net, you know the, the, the loss of those children will not be in vain. The loss of those teachers will not be in vain. The consciousness of this country is being raised as we speak we are We are growing, we are learning as a nation. we are teething it is, it is painful and it hurts, and it makes us want to scream and cry, but eventually that pain goes away, and we mature and we get older and we learn from from this this horror and and unfortunately. Um, it hurts right now, uh, but but we are we are growing. We are growing.
3: All right, um, I agree with that. I think I'm going to make a couple of comments here, but we'll finish up. How much of that are we going to play? Because we got f- like four and a half minutes now. What do
2: you mean play? I was just going to read it.
3: Oh, you're just going to read it. Oh, I thought you had to play it.
2: What the old man's speech? Yeah. No,
3: it's you not recorded. It it's... is. I think it is. I, I, I heard it. it. I heard it. But it's good. It's good stuff. <clears throat> it's good stuff. <clears throat> oh, we'll let you go out with it. But let me just say this about that. Um, you know, there's, there's – um, sometimes when people use bumper sticker slogans and tried and true slogans from the argument of a bygone era, um, I think that they are either uh, intentionally or willfully ignorant about how insensitive what they're saying is. Um, cold, dead hand. You'll, you'll get my gun when you take it from my cold, dead hand. You know, that that doesn't – the gun, they don't use that anymore. But but there's other things. Um, guns are uh, – there's a million of them. I don't need to repeat them. But the, the point is when people use them, when they use anecdotal uh, evidence to support their opinion, um, It if they were sitting in the room with the families – uh, right after the kids died or if they were sitting in their homes when they're quiet in the homes instead of the pitter-patter of little feet, if they were sitting uh, next to the victims of any one of the tragedies that we all talk about, Columbine, the movie theater, Virginia, Virginia Tech, there's you know anywhere from 9,000 to 50,000, depending on what we want to talk about, uh, gun deaths, whether suicides or homicides or whatever, that people um, should... Be careful when they're joking, and they should be careful when they're making their arguments or their points uh, in support of something. I think if people are going to make arguments in defense of guns, they should have a real strong understanding of the uh, instruments or mechanisms they're using to support their claim. Because I think it's – I'm tired of negotiating this conversation. I'm tired of the families of victims and innocent people who want to be able to go to schools and go to uh, public places without worrying about getting killed with assault ripens. They're negotiating this whole conversation from a position of weakness because they have to live in a place where 200 million or 100 million people own guns. I just as soon we say, you know what? Nobody gets guns anymore, or at least not these assault weapons and their extended clips and all this kind of stuff. Everybody take that away, and if you'd like to own those, then demonstrate that you will be respectful. Prove to me that you should have this gun in this society. Mm. If you can, if you're willing to get licensed and prove that you can keep it stored properly and make sure that there's no one in your home or your immediate family or your immediate environment who might want to do you ill, who's got a demonstrated uh, mental health problem – I don't know what I just said there. If I agree with that, but basically, you know, if we are going to be able to say my kid's in high school, he's a loner. I'm worried about him. I need to get uh, get him or her access to health evaluation. And if the evaluation is this person's got problems, not just throw our hands up to it. Uh, you know, I don't want to negotiate from a position of weakness. If you're going to have guns, prove that you're worthy. Don't just make me expect that you're a good person because I know the people who have them in my life and they're good people. But I think any one of them, if you could say trade in your cash of weapons in your house, which you like to bring back those 20 kids, those 20 babies, boy, it'd be hard for them to keep their fucking guns. Boy, would it be hard. So I, I like guns. I use guns. I believe people should have the right to them, but something in our culture has to flip, and as far as I'm going to s- concern, it's going to start with Feinstein's uh, assault weapons ban reintroduction and closing the gun loophole and getting rid of those clips and those magazines of extra ammo. Uh, maybe they, you know, uh, or whatever, you know, and and. and Trying to take out of circulation, maybe doing a federal buyback of guns to offer people fair market value for their guns, like we do in Los Angeles. Mayor Villa Ragosa just decided that he's going to move from May up till December 26th. Now we're going to have the LA wide uh, gun buyback program, which people love and they take great advantage of. Let's get some of the guns out of circulation. Let's start, you know. Doing what you said to me on the phone the other day, Mackie, realizing that when you step back from this planet, it's a blue spinning orb, and we're all in it together, and we need to stop shooting at each other. That's uh, what I got to say here on Vox Populi, Mm -hmm. voice of the occasionally interest people. This is our final uh, broadcast of the year. What a year it has been. We have had a great time – I want to thank all the people who've helped with the show, all the guests who've come on, all the callers who've come on, the Twitter sphere who's uh, followed at uh, Host Vox Popular and at Sean Aston. Uh, I want to thank my wife and kids. I want to thank uh, I want to thank Mackie. Thank you very much.
2: Hey, the pleasure's mine, my
3: friend. And uh, yeah, you know, just I think it's okay to enjoy ourselves this holiday season, to celebrate our life and our happiness, and it's okay to keep thinking about each other and being invested in our common cause. Is that a a good Hmm. one to go out on? I got chills. Did you? (laughs) I don't know. When I go back, when I get in the car, I go home, and and I don't have the sound of the official radio host in my headset, I don't sound as important. So thank you all for making me feel (laughs) more important than I am. Aloha. Happy New Year. Aloha. Thank you, Senator Way, And Congress... Do the right thing with the president, all of you branches get together and pass this fiscal cliff and come up with a good compromise. And let's get into twenty thirteen with uh all guns blazing. Gusto. No, oh, he said all guns blazing. Oh, and, and uh twenty twelve, tomorrow, May twenty fourth. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, good luck with the end of the world. Yeah, good luck yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with the other world. I like that. All right. Pete, say something good. Aloha. Sit Mahalo.
2: <laughs> mahalo. Aloha.